0: We call it the uh, Blue Bayou Lagoon. Good morning and welcome to Disneyland. You're now standing in Town Square, USA. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain, and I'd like to welcome you aboard the Disneyland monorail. A vista into a world of wondrous ideas, signifying man's achievement, a step into the future with predictions of constructive things to come. Yeah. WDW Radio, your information station.
1: Welcome to the WDW Radio show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 58 for the week of March 16th, 2008. As always, I'm your host Lou Mangello, and I want to thank you for tuning in once again this week. I just returned from Disneyland in California, and wanted to not just take a look back at my trip, but really wanted to do something that's going to be informative and interesting for you, the listener. I was pleasantly surprised at just how much I enjoyed my experience at the parks and realized that there was just so much to discuss and introduce people to that I invited in my friends, travel companions, and frequent WDW radio show guests Jeff Pepper, George Taylor, and Eric Hollister in for a roundtable discussion simply entitled why every Walt Disney World fan needs to visit Disneyland. Now, because of the length of the segment, I'm going to save the Walt Disney World news and rumor mill for next week, as well as your emails. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show.
2: But Right now, I'd like to introduce you to the man who started it all. Walt Disney. Walt, tell us how it all
0: began. Well, it came about when my daughters were very young, and I, Saturday was always uh, Daddy's Day with the two daughters. hmm So we'd start out and try to go someplace with, you know, different things, and I would take them to the merry ground, and I took them different places, and as I'd sit there while they, uh, they rode the merry ground, did all these things, sit on a bench, you know, eating peanuts. right. I felt that there should be something built, some kind of a, an amusement enterprise built where that the parents and the children could uh, have fun together.
2: It's a great idea.
0: So that's how Disneyland started.
1: As I mentioned on last week's show, I spent this past weekend at Disneyland in California and I have to admit that I went to Disneyland fully expecting not to enjoy it as much as I do Walt Disney World. I was thinking it would pale in comparison to the Walt Disney World that I know and love so well and I thought I would find myself comparing and contrasting the two parks, finding Walt Disney World far superior in every respect. But I was wrong and very wrong and in fact there are many things about Disneyland that dare I say, are even better than Walt Disney World. Much better. So when I was thinking about talking about my trip on the show, I hesitated, thinking that Walt Disney World fans who listen to a show specifically about Walt Disney World wouldn't want to hear simply a virtual trip report or opinion on Disneyland. So I spent a great deal of time before I got there wondering just how I would present a segment that would be interesting and not just my opinions on the park. Well, once I stepped on Main Street USA and started enjoying all the attractions, the answer came to me immediately. For I realized very quickly that even for Walt Disney World fans like myself, who call it home and probably know it better than their own hometown, that you need to visit Disneyland. And I want to try and explain why. And so the idea for this segment was born. But certainly I couldn't do it alone, so who better to come on and discuss this in a roundtable format with me than the fellows who shared the experience with me. So I want to welcome Jeff Pepper, George Taylor... And Eric Hollister, my friends, fellow Geeks, Explorers, and yes, roommates for the weekend to the show. Guys, welcome. How's it going, Lou? Thanks, Lou. This won't be the first time that you talk over each other, so don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) If those past four days were were any indication, uh, this is going to be a very interesting conversation. So we'll start off with my trip because I actually got in a little bit earlier than the rest of the guys. I got in Friday night. I landed about eight thirty over at John Wayne airport. And really about a half hour later, I was at my hotel. And uh, before the other guys got there, I stayed at a best Western right across the street on Harbor Boulevard. And I was in by nine o'clock. The park was open till midnight. And the park literally is directly across Harbor Boulevard uh, from the hotel. So it's, a, it's about a five minute walk from where my hotel was. And, as I'm sure we'll talk as we go on, it was a very different type of experience from the second I walked into door, in, in the door. But you know, as I said sort of in the introduction, and I'm, you guys can jump and tell me how you felt, when I stepped onto Main Street, USA, my first reaction was just was, "Wow. I, I mean I smiled. I was a little bit in awe. There was a, a little twinge of, of some sort of sentimentality that hit me. Um, it was just very, quite unexpected my reaction to just the, the feeling of being in Disneyland.
3: Yeah, Lou, when um, Eric and I first met up, it was kind of interesting because you, you didn't show up at the restaurant first, but we all just talked about how amazing Main Street USA was and how different it was from Main Street USA at Walt Disney World. Just quaint, so much charm right there as you're walking down Main Street USA. It was, it was almost overwhelming because you're so used to the Magic Kingdom in Florida and to see Sort of the same idea, the same representation. Just, it's it just felt so different.
2: So. You met you and Jeff, right?
3: Well, yeah, but we met you first at the restaurant. Yeah, I did meet me and Jeff. God,
1: <laughs> obviously was so we, didn't, I was. Yeah, we, we didn't get a lot of sleep on the trip, so we'll we'll attribute <laughs> that at all. to.
3: <laughs> but yeah, because Jeff and I had such a fun ride from our area with the plane ride and then the long trip in the car getting there. Once we finally were checked in at the hotel and made our way, it was just it was such a completely different experience. Uh, Jeff, did you want to tell them anything about Downtown Disney and, and getting to Disneyland or?
4: It's, yeah, we, we were laughing like crazy because we we went to the Paradise Pier, uh, directly to the Paradise Pier to drop our bags off, the Paradise Pier, Pier Hotel. And, you know, we checked in and basically then headed across the street, they guided us, they said, you know, kind of cross the street, go through the Grand Californian and you'll you'll head right over there to the entrance. and. You come out of the Grand Californian and into Downtown Disney and, of course, being the Disney geeks that we are, we just assume that we know everything. You know, we we know Disney World like the back of our hand. And so we basically come walking out of the Grand Californian and we don't have a clue where we're at or where we're we're going. (laughs) And it was a very humbling experience because (laughs) the last time I was at at Disneyland was almost 20 years ago. And so the entire Downtown Disney DCA development was all just brand new and we we basically started walking around in circles and uh we asked directions and they were kind of look at us and laugh and go that direction and at one point we were just like you know f- literally feet from the main entrance plaza and we're asking people if we should get on the tram to ride it to the entrance <laughs> so we were yeah, yeah we were showing she, our
3: two colors yeah she looked at us and said uh it's right over there i'm like oh yeah yeah we were just checking we're with disney customer service uh <clears throat> and well, then we walked
1: on. <laughs> you guys bring up a great point because I got there obviously at night on Friday night and you know we all take it for granted when we're, we're looking at people who are staring at their maps and wandering around in circles and asking what we consider to be stupid questions but I was so out of my element on Friday night and considering the fact that I didn't know where I was going and it was dark, I mean I was lost I was lost in a park that we're going to obviously talk about that is much smaller than Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom but being coming from the Disney World experience and just having no idea where to go, I have a new appreciation and understanding for those guests that come in, and really kind of have that that lost look on their face because it's it's somewhat overwhelming. It is definitely overwhelming when you walk in the gate and you're asking a cast member, um, "I'm sorry, where's Pirates of the Caribbean?" And she just points to the right, and there it is. <laughs> right. And this is actually, this was my
2: second trip to Disneyland. I, I went back in September of 07. And the one thing that kind of stood out for me is when you go to Walt Disney World, there's literally nothing up until you get to the main entrance of any of the parks. And when you're coming in, um, you know, I came in from John Wayne also, you can see a good majority of the park from the freeway, which really kind of surprised me at first. And the first time I had ever gotten on property, I was a little taken back that you see downtown Disney, Disneyland, and DCA, all with, in literally a stone throw of each other. And at first I thought, okay, this is going to really be weird. But, you know, and I think we'll, as we talk in our discussion, it actually was not only convenient, but it made it really easy to go from one park to the next. And, you know, it also saved time just in
1: traveling between the two areas. Yeah, coming from Walt Disney World, we're so used to having to take some sort of, you know, mass transportation to get anywhere, whether we have to drive, our car from the Magic Kingdom parking lot, which, you know, doesn't really exist in Disneyland, to Epcot or Animal Kingdom, which is, you know, if you take a bus, could be a 45-minute to an hour ride away. Everything is in walking distance. All the hotels, downtown Disney, California Adventure, you don't get in any sort of transportation vehicle at all unless unless you just want to take a ride uh, on the monorail, which, I mean, that's really all it is, is really more of an attraction than a mode of transportation.
4: What's really also kind of... Disorienting is that because you know even looking at maps of disneyland and comparing it to the magic kingdom and disney world because there's a hub and because there's a basically the same you know there's Frontierland, land land tomorrowland and they're all geographically in the same kind of spots you just assume that oh it's just going to be like that and you you basically head in the in the direction that you would head in disney world assuming that everything's going to make sense and it's going to kind of fall in place just like it falls in place there just with small variations And it's not the case at all. Uh, Disneyland has more of almost a a maze-like feel to it compared to kind of more of the direct routes that you can take in uh, the Magic Kingdom.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, we talked about Main Street, and when I stepped onto Main Street, the first thing I felt, obviously I think we all use the word quaint when we describe it, and almost sort of a mini version of Walt Disney World. So you said, okay, well, Magic Kingdom is going to be smaller. It's going to be much easier to navigate. And, Jeff, like you said, it was a little bit more of... Amazed. And I don't know if maybe if we're, we're sort of tainted because we know Walt Disney World so well, we expect things to be in certain places, but we found ourselves looking at our maps, you know, during the entire four-day trip that we were there. And Disneyland people are laughing at us, which is fine, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the basic feeling that I got when I walked in the first
2: time is it's similar enough to the Magic Kingdom to give you that basic overall feel, but it's it's different enough where you literally feel... Like you're going through a completely new experience, no matter how many times you've been to Walt Disney World, and, and that for me was exciting because it, you know, we're so used to that particular park that it literally felt like, you know, I'm kind of going through this experience for the first time again.
4: What's, what yeah. was really cool though was, and one of the things that really struck me, um, if we want to kind of talk about Main Street, you know, we're basically saying how we walked in and saw Main Street. What really kind of blew me away was Main Street at Disneyland was almost sort of like a time travel trip back in time to the 1970s Walt Disney World, because things are still there in uh, Disneyland that have, have disappeared from uh, the Magic Kingdom and Disney World. Like, for instance, the Main Street Cinema, um, the Penny Arcade, um, the side streets. Um, so much of that that I remember very fondly from Disney World is still basically, basically in p- place. So it was almost like revisiting some of those fonder memories that I'd had of, of um, Magic Kingdom.
1: Yeah, and you actually are going to tie into another point, and maybe you guys didn't feel the same way. And I don't know how else to describe it, but for me, the the quote-unquote experience of being at, at Disneyland didn't start until I stepped foot on Main Street, until I, I mean, got to the turnstiles and almost really got under the trains was when the experience started for me, whereas opposed to Walt Disney World when... I get on property and I start seeing signs, I start seeing the hotels and I I get to my resort. That's when it all starts to take shape or when I hop on the monorail or hop on a boat. Here, because Disneyland is right in the middle of the city and you can see it from outside the city and just the same way you can also see, you know, highways and and whatnot from the inside, from from the esplanade. Um, I didn't quite get that Disney feel of that experience until I really stepped foot on Main Street. Am I unique in my perspective or do you guys kind of feel the same way?
3: No, I think you're right, Lou. When uh, Jeff and I drove in off the five as we were told to call it um, and parked at the Paradise Pier Hotel to check in. It just didn't have that same full Disney you're checking at the Disney Resort type experience that we're used to and then walking over to uh, the Disneyland Hotel that first day when we got lost and it just didn't have that same feel. You're right. Once you hit the Esplanade the, the ticket booths were just different. Walking under the train that was the very first time I and get on the head it just that's the first immersive experience and then once you hit the end of Main Street USA and you just you see the smaller castle and you can see the Matterhorn and it was just like wow you know I don't think we're at the Magic Kingdom any longer
2: Yeah, and when you're at Walt Disney World, I mean, the first time you drive on property and you go under those archways that say, welcome to, you know, Walt Disney World Resort, I mean, there's still a couple miles between either the parks or downtown Disney or the hotels that still continue to build up that anticipation and then if you go to the Magic Kingdom, you've got the monorail that you still need to ride before you get there and, I mean, literally, you get to Disneyland and it's like one second you're in the real world and then the next second you're, you know, you're in Disneyland, so there really isn't that time lapse of transition between one world and the next
4: i'll, I'll disagree just a little bit but you'll, you'll understand why <laughs> no no really because the one thing that struck me very very differently is um like i said when i visited 20 years ago it was you know it's just like as you're saying then you basically got off of the interstate and right onto harbor boulevard and you immediately on harbor boulevard were right in the middle of all the commercial development And the thing that was very distinctly different this time is when we came down Interstate 5, our exit was Disneyland Drive, which was basically the new roads that have come in since they've expanded the resort and added uh, California Adventure. And when you go down Disneyland Drive, you have more of a feeling of isolation because you're going directly down this road, which is very well landscaped, very well made. There's not really any great deal of commercial development beyond what Disney has put in there now. And you, you go past the Cali- Grand Californian and then you come right to where we went to the Paradise Pier Hotel. So there was some degree of isolation there. And I felt when the, the big difference was that from when I was there before, the Esplanade very much, to me, did kind of create a more self-contained atmosphere. You know, you, you kind of walk out of downtown Disney, you're right in the Esplanade, and where before you were literally right there looking out at a parking lot that basically then extended a view to the commercial development surrounding the park so i felt it was a little bit more isolated than it had been in the past
1: well let me ask you this speaking of paradise pier which obviously is one of the Disneyland on property hotels (laughs) did you get that same sort of feeling eric hinted this did you get that same sort of feeling checking into paradise pier that you get checking into the polynesian or even french quarter or pop century for that matter
4: yeah i did I, i i really did because basically you went in and there was goofy a statue of goofy right in in the lobby and you 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 had that sense of disney service um very much the things that we've come to expect from the disney resorts in florida was in place and like i said because there wasn't a shoney's next door a denny's across the street or a mcdonald's right beside it i i still did like i said feel that degree of kind of isolation certainly not on the scale of disney world but it was there they're definitely trying to do the best they can with the circumstance they're in there.
1: Listen, don't down my Best Western Friday night stage just because I had a Denny's next door. <laughs> well, I was going
2: to say also the view of DCA right across the street kind of helped add to the uh, ambiance of the whole thing.
1: True.
3: Yeah, there were there were little touches. I mean, checking in uh, when Jeff and I had to come into the parking deck, and there were Mickey's scattered throughout Mickey icons. You know, we had arguments about whether they were hidden or decorative Mickeys, but that's another story. But yeah, you could feel it once you were actually on the property. But I still didn't get that real magic until I think we walked into the gates at Disneyland under the train. Oh, well, well, you're so hard to me. please. Jeez. Hey, you know.
1: Well, that's what you get from flying into an airport that was an hour away anyway. But listen, let's talk about the actual atmosphere of Disneyland, and we're going to save, I'm going to, I'm going to say this now, we're going to save Disney's California Adventure, we're going to treat that sort of separate and apart, and we'll talk about that uh, after we talk about Disneyland's Magic Kingdom. But I want to talk about the atmosphere, because there were some things about it that I thought were different, some things I thought were interesting, and some things that I thought were wonderful. And some of the things that I had just made mental notes of was um, things like the windows on Main Street carried through. not just to Main Street, but you found them in other parts of the park. You found them in Adventureland. You found them um, even in Frontierland, unlike Walt Disney World. Uh, Some of the theming of the different areas, like New Orleans Square, with the narrow winding streets and the shops and the details, I I thought were exceptional. And one of the things that that really struck me um, over and over again was the music. And when you step on Main Street USA, you get that ambient music. But around the rest of the park there's much less ambient music, but instead there's much more live music and it's very, very well-themed. So for example, on New Orleans Square, on some of those side streets, you have that jazz duo playing, you had the Mardi Gras party, you had the Frontierland Band, the Main Street Marching Band, uh, Billy Hill and the Hillbillies, even a a live band in Tomorrowland Terrace. And I really, really like that element of what they brought. As much as I love the music in Walt Disney World, it makes you want to stop and listen and enjoy and really just sort of take it all in in Disneyland which I really really liked and the other thing I noticed and Jeff you might want to touch on this because this is something that we've talked about on the show before was we talked about Disneyland being so much more compact so much smaller so kind of intertwined but the one thing I noticed too was much less of a distinction between the lands in Disneyland as opposed to Walt Disney World, the transitioning was much less pronounced, in my opinion. So when you went from Frontierland to New Orleans Square, um, it, it really wasn't kind of the same way as you, you, you transition in Walt Disney World.
4: Yeah, it, it truly is a product of its history. I mean, you know, and not not to put down our, our, our West Coast brethren, but this, I think, was one of the lessons they truly learned that they brought to florida was giving themselves enough space so they can affect those transitions i mean in in, in magic kingdom at, at florida we talk about how you know the, just the simple things of you know the roofs changing or you know when you walk kind of under that underpass from liberty square into Fantasyland, land how everything transitions perfectly and they didn't have that luxury with with disney world because to affect those kind of transitions they would have to broaden the areas and the lands and they just don't have the space to do it. So that was a I wouldn't say jarring, but it was it was very distinctly different from Florida. Like you said you you can you literally walk from kind of Tarzan's treehouse right into New Orleans Square and it's a, it's a little different.
3: Yeah, it seemed like the the pathways just meandered so much more because of the lack of space. They had to pull you around curves so you didn't see what was coming and as you mentioned earlier, the most obvious aspect was going from Frontierland to New Orleans Square around the Rivers of America just because you get such a wide vista at one point. I think, in my opinion, and you know, Jeff will probably agree with me, one of the best transitions is got to be between uh, Fantasyland and Toontown just because you walk under the bridge and they give you, since you're walking under the train, it's just such a better transition and you're just more immersed into that area. So, Well,
4: one of the things that is very evident that it, it's very hard for them to position the weenies in Disneyland as they do in Magic Kingdom. For instance, one of the things that was interesting was when George and I came in Saturday. We were starving. We hadn't eaten for for quite a few hours, and it was just like you know, yeah, this is all wonderful. We're in Disneyland, but let's let's eat. And so we went to Rancho Rancho del Zucolo and Frontierland, and we get our food, sit down, and I think this is when when you and Eric caught up with us. We turn around and there you know there's the you know the train going by for Great uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. And it's like, where, where did that come from? And, you know, in Walt Disney World, you know, you approach Big Thunder Mountain. It, it sits to the back. You see it from a distance. It's very much a focal point. Whereas, you know, right in Disneyland, you you kind of sit down and these things are on top of you.
1: Yeah, the sight lines, I mean, they just, you have to kind of just give up on that and suspend your disbelief. Because you can sit in Frontierland and see the Matterhorn and just the same way you can sit in Tomorrowland and see pretty much... Everything. Um, so you kind of have to, like I said, like said kind of give up on that. Although, like you said, um, George, that transition to Toontown has the benefit of going under. So you, you do kind of get that big reveal that you don't really get in many of the other lands in Disneyland. And, and one of the other things I noticed, too, and again, it's, uh, I was a victim of my just non-familiarity with the park was there's a number of dead ends that I just didn't expect. You know, there's a dead end in Critter Country. There was a dead end because of the time of night I went in Fantasyland. They close off Fantasyland when the fireworks are going off. There's also a dead end by that, um, that big princess fair thing in the back, too. So I found myself sort of backtracking a number of times um, just because I, I was so unfamiliar and I was just not used to that in Disney World.
2: Yeah, I mean, to kind of go on what you were saying about the dead ends, the one that was probably the most uh, noticeable is, you know, in Walt Disney World, when you're in Two Town, you have that uh, back alleyway that'll go straight to Tomorrowland. You know, it there, they didn't have those type of transitions in Disneyland, which really threw me off the first time that I was going. So I did find myself backtracking once or twice on my first visit.
3: Yeah, Eric, talking about the transitions, there's that great spot at the Magic Kingdom between... Uh, Adventureland and Frontierland that takes you by the Country Bear Jamboree uh, by, by the Dole Whip place. But in Disneyland, they don't have anything. The, the, the one entrance they have is right there at the beginning. So if you walk into Adventureland and cut a sharp right, you're in Frontierland. You cut another sharp right, you're back in the hub. And it's one of those strange going right by the stockade moments that's just like, well, okay, I'm not sure the point of that besides alleviating some traffic.
1: Well, the other thing, too, that Walt Disney World is able to do is if you notice the transitions between all the lands, they use bridges and they, or they use archways. So, for example, whenever you, when you transition from the hub to Adventureland or Tomorrowland, you have to cross over this literal and figurative bridge. Or when you trans, transfer from Liberty Square to F- Fantasyland, you have to go under the archway, much like you have to do in Disneyland to go from Fantasyland to Toontown. So that's why it, I guess it's really the only example that it's able to take advantage of that of that transition element but what i want to do next is let's talk about the attraction let's get to the meat and potatoes of the the two parks and the attractions themselves because again i was very surprised at how i felt as i was riding some of these how much better some of them were and some far superior. And when we talk about things like Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, we've always heard that Disneyland was so much better and I just couldn't believe it uh, because I love Walt Disney World so much. But we'll talk about some specifically. But as a whole, the one thing I noticed too and some of my favorite attractions in Disneyland were in Fantasylands. And I just thought that the dark rides had such a better translation and the details were better and the theming was was better. Uh, Peter Pan's Flight Instantly became my favorite attraction in Disneyland George
3: yeah that was that was a great ride, comparing it to the one in Florida, even though it's it 's actually shorter in Disneyland, I, I think the effects of uh, the starfield once you cross over into Neverland was just I, I, you know you and I were in the same uh, the same pirate boat and we both kind of went wow at the same time it was it was almost mesmerizing and and I think we we all talked about this a little bit with the dark rides that. It seemed like since Disneyland is considered so much more a locals park, that sometimes it gets plussed a little more. Some of the smaller details get fine-tuned. And, and in my mind, with the dark rides, that was really what it was. There were just so many, so much, the smaller details were better. And just much more enjoyable rides. The, the queues were smaller, because of course they don't have the space to have extended queues at these attractions, but they, they were just wonderful, wonder, wonderfully done.
4: Well, just going strictly by the numbers, I mean, they have three additional dark rides at Fantasyland that we don't have in the Magic Kingdom in Florida. And uh, that's, you know, they still have Toad, they have Alice in Wonderland, and they have Pinocchio. And it's like you're saying, these, we I think, I, like, I, I'm guessing you guys kind of were like how I was, where you kind of went in with not low expectations, but just exper- expectations of just, here's another dark ride, kind of similar to Snow White or similar to Peter Pan. And they were phenomenal. They had they had special effects that extended just beyond the static figures that you know have limited movement or whatever and i was i was really impressed with things like you know alice in wonderland and lou i know you and i i think we're talking about how we really enjoyed alice in wonderland because it has that transition where you actually leave and come outside and then go back in again which is very very different compared to what we've we've experienced in florida um pinocchio just something because pinocchio just doesn't seem to get a whole whole lot of attention in general in the theme parks. It was just really refreshing to ride that one.
1: And, uh, you know, I'm going to jump in when you talk about Pinocchio, because that was an instant favorite for me. Um, I just thought, you know, we, we talk about the thrill rides. We talk about some of the, the classic attractions and some of the big ticket, you know, eat ticket rides. But I just think that Pinocchio more so than any other ride in Disneyland for me embodied why we love Disney. It, it was simple, It had memorable music, a great story, endearing characters. It's family-friendly. Everybody can enjoy it. And it just kind of wrapped all that up in a single package. And I just thought it was just so well represented um, and just told the story so, so well. And again, it's simple. It's not anything that's, you know, over the top or crazy. And and I really, really, really like um, Pinocchio and Toad and, and Peter Pan.
3: Yeah, Pinocchio was the uh, the first modern dark ride, so to speak, because it was part of the 1983 Fantasyland rehab.
2: And you know, me particularly, I tend to be more of a thrill attraction type of guy. And we're going to go not too far from Fantasyland, but one one of the dark rides that really stood out for me that I kind of wish we did have out in in Orlando was uh, Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin. And the thing that was really cool about it was it kind of combined a lot of the elements of the Mr. Toad ride, but also gave you that spinning ability that are in the uh, Alice in Wonderland teacup. And, you know, you literally go into the world of Roger Rabbit, and you start out literally as though, you know, you're riding in Benny the Cab, who gets dipped right away, and you have this ability uh, to spin your car literally out of control, which, you know, was really unique, and I hadn't seen anything like that
1: done on a dark ride before. Jeff, I'm going to let you jump in here because this might be a good time to talk about Toontown, which is so much bigger on so much of a grander scale. There's other attractions in there. I know you're a big Roger Rabbit fan. What do you think of Cartoon Spin?
4: Oh, just as Eric said, it, it was great. And I mean, when he was he was talking about the ride, I'm thinking to myself, I'm still in the queue.
1: <laughs> I
2: mean,
4: because it's again, again, the interesting thing we've been pointing out is, again, history has kind of dictated that. Disneyland doesn't have the luxury of queues much in the way that um, Disney World does just because of just sheer space limitations but with Toontown they were able to basically kind of go past that and the queue for Roger Rabbit was amazing. I, I think you guys went and jumped on the ride and George and I were going photo crazy. I mean I think my camera was on fire by the time I actually got into the ride vehicle but there's so, there was so much there and, and the ride itself was just very different because again you kind of yeah kind of have a mindset that you're just getting on another dark ride and there's so much more to it than that the spinning factor and and man it, it's a workout turning those vehicles i mean it wasn't well, just like you know, it wasn't as easy as the teacups but <laughs> it, it was a very 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 cool cool attraction and lots and lots of little details
3: it was more of a workout trying to hold the vehicle still so you could get a good picture yeah <laughs> that was the harder part <laughs>
1: And it made me think. When we were in Toontown, it was like the, me, George, and Eric were going with our kid, because <laughs> Jeff just wanted to stay behind. He's like, "Okay, we're gonna go ride some rides. We'll come back and pick you up in a couple hours."
3: <laughs> yeah, we left him a couple dollars and some crackers and said, "Here you go." Well, total, and to give you an-
4: total, total eye candy. Come on, you can't, you can't deny it.
1: No, I. Well- to- I love Toontown. It was so interactive. I mean, everything that you touched made a noise or did something or or was kinetic in some way. So I really, I, I agree with you. I really like Toontown a lot. Right. I mean, to give the listeners an idea, I mean, I think you, George, and I had gotten on
2: Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. We got off, and literally there were like five or six cars that came by before we found Jeff. So that, <laughs> but the queue, it was. It was very, very interactive, and it had a lot of uh, sight gags and things that either related to the movie or pay tribute to somebody else. So it, it was cool.
4: Well, the other thing was, uh, Lou, I think this was a couple nights later because it was you weren't with us. You'd already caught your plane. We went back in Toontown in the evening. And what I didn't discover until luckily we did it that night was Mickey's house is one of these things where it's, it's larger on the inside than it is on the outside. And Mickey's house at Disney World is basically very much, you know, you walk through two or three rooms. This went on forever and ever. I mean, we we were basically going from room to room, from area to area, that eventually, I guess, ultimately led to a meet and greet. But it was amazing because there was just so much content just in this house that I guess extended kind of back beyond kind of the Toontown facade. I mean, it was just, it was amazing.
1: Yeah, Toontown in, in general here in Disneyland, I think, is so much better I hate to admit, then, what we have in Walt Disney World, because it is a full land. I mean, there's, no, there's attractions in there. There's more than just play areas. There's a lot to do. And you can leave your kids like Jeff there for a couple of hours, <laughs> and, and they'll have a great time.
3: I just leave them enough batteries for the camera. That's yeah. all he needs.
1: There's also, there's also Gadget's Go Coaster, which we don't have. There's, uh, we, they have. They have Goofy's Playhouse, again, which we don't have. There's a Chippendale Treehouse. So there's a lot more stuff for kids and Jeff to do. When they're in Toontown as opposed to just the, the two meet, you know, the three or so meet and greet areas, uh, the barnstormer, and then that's about it.
3: Yeah, but I, know, th- I think the attention to detail on that, that part of the park is so amazing. I mean, they had the windows uh, back there from the windows on Main Street back in Toontown dedicated to the famous characters, which is great.
2: And something else I thought was rather unique. I mean, I don't know if you guys had noticed it or not, but really until we got to Toontown with the exception of Right when you walked on Main Street, that was one of the only places where I saw character meet and greets and opportunities to take photos with characters. I think the only other spot that I noticed um, was literally when you walk in on Main Street, they had the, the Fab Five dressed up in their Year of a Million Dreams apparel. But outside of that, it wasn't until Toontown that I saw
1: too many other characters. Yeah, you pointed that out while we were there, and I, and I never noticed it until you said it, but you're right. You don't see uh, fur characters walking around anywhere else other than, like I said, Main Street and Toontown. I, unless you guys saw it in any of the other lands, I didn't.
3: Yeah, the only other character we saw was Pocahontas right on the bridge to uh, Fan- uh, Frontierland. The, I guess it was the first evening. There was a lot of congestion there. And we're kind of looking around, and she was standing there signing autographs right on the bridge. And that's the only other character I saw outside of Toontown and Main Street.
1: And other, you know, other, obviously the Jedi Training Academy in, in uh, Tomorrowland might be the only other exception I could think of offhand.
4: But that's that's interesting that you bring that up because we, we were observing that the fact that the the mindset among the guests at Disneyland is very very different when it comes to characters and getting their pictures taken and meet and greets and such. They're they're a little bit more passe about it. I when when you guys did leave me alone in in Toontown, um, it was it wasn't terribly crowded, but there was there was quite a few people around, and Goofy came kind of walking out, and he was just kind of walking around, and there wasn't this mad rush mob. Greet him. In fact, he walked past me, stopped, waved, and I I got his picture. There wasn't a soul around him, and it's there's very it's there's a very totally different dynamic. Um, There's just isn't that kind of rock star mad rush with the autograph books as there is is in Florida.
1: Well, one thing I'm sorry. One thing I felt was that the um, the guests here were different than sort of what you get in Walt Disney World. I I think we can all agree that they there's a much more local crowd, for lack of a better word, and that's not a bad thing. But I think this is where a lot of local southern californians come to spend the weekend or they you can definitely see the people come and they drop their kids off here so maybe it's not like the family that's waiting a year two years three years to go down to disney world and needs to see you know the kids need to see mickey they need to see some of the other characters and i think that's some of the other reasons why we see some of the other things in and around the park is because it's more of a local crowd than you know a week-long resort destination
3: yeah there didn't seem to be huge lines at the uh Uh, photography stations either to have them you take your pictures in front of the icons several photographers were just standing there waiting to take your picture whereas at Disney World there's a line of four or five people at every one I think you're right it's the local crowd aspect of it that these all everybody probably lives there with like an hour an hour and a half or two hours of the park
1: yeah, I want to move from, we talked about Fantasyland a little bit and, and some of the attractions there. We talked, obviously, about Toontown. Let's move over, staying on this side of the park, over to Tomorrowland because I'd love to get your opinions on not just the land itself but some of the attractions therein and sort of the exterior theming which I think is very different and in stark contrast to what we have over in Walt Disney World. Jeff, why don't you yeah. go ahead and go first?
4: Yeah, they, I was. I have to say if there was one thing... There, there's kind of Tomorrowland represented something that was kind of a bittersweet with me, is that I was somewhat disappointed in the theming, um, but I was totally blown away by the, one of the attractions, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the theming, the theming in, in Magic Kingdom in Florida tells a very very distinct story, and it's one of my favorite things that the Imagineers have done. I really really like the the kind of the retro theming, and. In, in Disneyland it's sort of like they were kind of going with that to some extent but never co- sort of followed through with it and it's just a very odd amalgamation of things as Tomorrowland kind of historically has been at Disneyland so it, that that kind of threw me off but that was very very made up for with Space Mountain. Um, I think you know I know we kind of all agree that we were all pretty much blown away by Space Mountain down here and even the exterior of, of Space Mountain I the, the kind of the, the two level, of you know, Tomorrowland there in that area was very very different from Florida. So, the Space Mountain experience was just just amazing. I mean, it just when we actually rode the ride, it is so so fundamentally different from its Florida counterpart, and it just it just really blew me away.
1: George, why don't you go then, Eric? Yeah, it's uh, talking
3: about Space Mountain. That truly was such a a different experience. It's so much better um, since we were able to redo a lot of it. But just it was. Uh, pitch black inside there with the Starfields going on. Just It was a wonderful ride. But going back to Tomorrowland, it seemed to me to be one of the smallest areas of the park once you entered it, once right off the hub, and you went past the Buzz Lightyear building and the Star Tours building, and you were right in the middle. And you don't, didn't have that huge expanse of land like you do at the Magic Kingdom. When you veer a left, once you're inside, and that takes you by the Finding Nemo, Voyage, and then the Matterhorn, that's about the only place you get any space. And and with Jeff's thoughts, the, the two-level queue for Space Mountain, where you're actually going in and around the restaurants and the arcade, it was just a really great experience. It kind of hid the queue from you a little bit, so you're never really sure how long it was going to be. But it, is, it was a great attraction, one of my favorites. One of my favorites during the whole weekend.
2: Yeah, I I agree. And like I said, being a thrill ride guy, um, you know, this version of Space Mountain is very different from the one out in Disney World. Particularly, I mean, I'm six foot eight. I mean, I'll ride the one out in Walt Disney World at least once every time just because I love the attraction. But it's not necessarily um, the easiest to fit into. Where the one out in Disneyland, it's rather than you line up back to back to back, there's, you know, it's a traditional roller coaster type of seating where you sit side by side. You know, there's plenty of leg room. It's a very smooth ride. And I think the way that they incorporated the music um, was done very well, too. I know, I think it was a couple of years ago they had incorporated uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers and then kind of dropped that and did a more traditional space type of flying through the air type of music, which was kind of, I mean, like I said, it was a nice effect. You know, I know that there's been the rumors on the Internet of, you know, is Space Mountain going to be refurbed out in Disney World? If so, what's it going to be like? I mean, I can only speak from personal experience. If they do it anything like the one out in Disneyland, I, I I know I will definitely be pleased, and I think that there's a lot of people out there that will be pleasantly surprised because whenever you start tinkering with a you know a classic attraction, that always the question comes up: Will it be as good as you know we want it to be? I think this is one that I mean, I would feel comfortable enough to say it might even be more popular if refurbished to uh, something similar out at Disneyland.
1: I'll stick on the discussion of Space Mountain particularly, because i this is one of the attractions I came out here very skeptical about seeing. you know, I hear update, I hear new music, I hear all these different things, and instantly the the nostalgic in me comes out, and I say, "Well, this can't be as good. I love Walt Disney World Space Mountain so much because that that sort of rickety, noisy, bumpy track and and the way it just there's something about that that I love, but probably far and away. Comparing and contrasting two attractions, Walt Disney World to Disneyland, the dichotomy between the two and just how much better Disneyland is really blew me away um, from the way the, the exterior is themed to the single track, to the music, to the ride vehicles themselves, that the, the multi-level queue. Um, one of you guys mentioned how dark it was inside. Just an amazing, amazing experience. And Eric, like you said, if they do even half of what they've done in Disneyland to Walt Disney World, people will will be very, very pleasantly surprised. And that will breathe incredible new life into an attraction that doesn't really need it in Walt Disney World, but will really, you talk about plussing an attraction, that's exactly what they did. But as far as, I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: No, I was going to say, I think uh, attesting to the popularity of the ride, there were only two or three attractions that we had to wait for, you know, and Space Mountain was one of them. There was always at least an hour wait uh, for the entire ride. I think that just attests to its popularity. With the redo,
1: and I usually don't like waiting a long time for attractions. You know, I'll, I'll kind of adjust my schedule accordingly. But I had no problem waiting an hour for that yeah, attraction I, that lasted just a few minutes.
3: I'd never wait more than thirty minutes tops <laughs> for anything. So,
1: well, yeah. And speaking real quick, just on the on the wait times,
2: even though you know Space Mountain had a forty-five to fifty-five minute wait it was, you know, the equivalent at Disney World would probably be 70 to 80 minutes. So even the popular rides still had less of a weight than what we're probably used to. So, I mean, for me, I know that was
1: kind of pleasantly surprising. Yeah. And finally, and as far as the, the theming of Tomorrowland goes, you know, I talked about how much I love New Orleans Square and the quaintness and the theming and the detail. Tomorrowland was completely the opposite for me. It was... I felt it was just such a hodgepodge, it was such a mess, and if you come in from the Fantasyland side, you almost don't realize when you're entering Tomorrowland, when you're leaving Fantasyland, because the Finding Nemo submarine voyage is there, you've got the Matterhorn right behind you, and now all all of a sudden you're kind of just thrust into the middle of Tomorrowland and, and sort of this retro-futuristic view, and now if you come off the hub, you've got nothing really to indicate you're entering Tomorrowland other than this sort of gold sign... And the Astro Orbiter, which is very different from what we have in Walt Disney World, it's kind of just plopped right in the middle of the walkway of what would be our Avenue of the Planets, and it's not um, high up on Rocket Tower Plaza. Instead, it's almost sunken in a little bit, and it's you know it's got the very Dumbo-esque quality to it. it doesn't have the appeal of what the Walt Disney World version does. And then you sort of get into the, the Tomorrowland proper, and you're in the middle, and you could see that there there was a lot more there than is there now, and I'm I haven't been to Disneyland other than one other time for half a day, you know, a dozen years ago. But that funky looking kinetic sculpture in the middle that doesn't really do anything. I was waiting for something to happen. I was looking for an attraction underneath it, and <laughs> Interventions just looks like it was kind of kind of shoehorned in there. They had some space to fill, um, you know. They had exhibits from Siemens and St. Joseph's Hospital. Not much else, and really. Not a whole heck of a lot else going on in Tomorrowland to kind of keep you in there um, the way I think we have in Walt Disney World. So um, I, I like Buzz Lightyear. I will say I like Buzz Lightyear better here, specifically because you could, you could pick the guns up and move around. And, and I think there were some added elements to the attraction that I did like.
3: Yeah, when you, for instance, when you would shoot the target, the gun would light up in the back and the target would light up at the same time. So you knew you were hitting it which I thought was a nice option to help me. That way, if I take my nine-year-old there, I might actually beat him. <laughs> so
1: True. And to, but let's move over to Adventureland. And, and Eric, I'm going to turn to you first because based on the number of times that we rode it and you asked to ride it, you, know, you, you were like the <laughs> Jeff Pepper of Adventureland. Because um, if we had a five-minute span, do, you, know, you guys want to hop on Indy? You know, we want to... Wanna... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about the treehouse. <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> Um, we were able to enjoy Indy, you know, probably five to seven times easy. But why don't you talk about your your feelings on Indy and the experience?
2: Well, the first time I I was out there back in September, you know, the, one of the weird things is literally it's weird seeing that type of an attraction because the equivalent at Walt Disney World is dinosaur. So it was weird seeing it in Disneyland or, you know, quote unquote, the Magic Kingdom. Uh, but I'd heard so much about it. You know, I do enjoy dinosaur whenever I'm at animal kingdom. So I, you know, I immediately jumped on. It was the first attraction that I I went on. And I mean, literally you are thrown into a very Indiana Jones type of feel. And for me, I think, I mean, based on the number of times I wrote it out there, eight, uh, (laughs) it was by far my favorite ride. Um, you know, I, to be, I mean, I, I, what? Bleh. Okay, don't you're cry. To, it's have, okay. We know you're gonna have to edit <laughs> yeah. that part out. I mean, even though I know the equivalent is dinosaur out in in Walt Disney World, I wouldn't be at all um, against the idea of you know an attraction like that or something similar in format to coming out to um, Walt Disney World in Florida. It it just. I don't know. It's it's the thrill aspect. It was tied into the theming of the. Uh, it, it had a very uh, Temple of Doom type of movie feel. If I'm going to compare it to any of the movies, and then of course there's you know at the very end uh, where you see literally the boulder rushing at you, uh, and then you kind of just dive down this what it feels like a drop. Yeah, you know, it just had that overall thrill that I
1: that I enjoy out of rides. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you only in the use of your term uh, equivalent. To what we have in Walt Disney World, because although the ride systems are the same, they are completely different experiences. I think what we have at, with Indiana Jones uh, in Disneyland in the uh, Temple of the Forbidden Eye attraction is so far and away different and, dare I say, superior than Dinosaur in Walt Disney World. Now, just because they do use the same ride system, you can't say, well, you know, the argument's been, well, you can't bring. Indiana Jones here because we have Dinosaur. Well, you know, look at attractions like the Haunted Mansion and Buzz Lightyear. Using exactly the same ride system, similar styles of track, obviously the experiences are, are completely different. So you can't use that as a reason to keep it out of Walt Disney World. Uh, it, it's just so much bigger. It's so much more expansive. And when you enter that that giant room and that it just room opens up to you, that show building has got to just be enormous. Um, but guys, I, you know, George and Eric, I'm sure you guys agree that, that the attraction's just amazing. Right. Yeah, and, was, and when I – oh, good. No, I was going to say – Eric. Go ahead, Eric. <laughs> go ahead, Eric.
2: <laughs> no, and just Well, just to touch on that. I mean I agree with you um, on that in terms of they are completely different experiences. I guess I was comparing the equivalent in terms of the ride system itself. But, um, you know, I mean – I think that that particular attraction in terms of the two parks actually ranks in my top three in terms of overall attractions that um, stick out the most
3: yeah it was I, I had the opportunity to ride it in ninety six well, you know it had only been open a few years at that point in time and was absolutely blown away with it almost more by the queue how they get you outside the berm and into the show building and you walk for like a half mile and it feels i mean it 's just a, a total immersion into the queue but the music is synced up perfectly. Uh, you go through some of the set scenes from the movies, and it's just it, its hard to expir- explain it. It's, I, I've ridden Dinosaur Countdown to Extinction, whatever you want to call it. It's just uh, the Indy ride so outpaces it in so many different ways. It, it's just a wonderful attraction. It's wonderful. I agree.
1: Jeff?
4: Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it a lot, and it's something that I was waiting a long time to see because of So much had been talked about, and it's been there for quite a while now. And I, I, I'm totally at a loss as to why that hasn't been exported to Florida. It's it's a natural fit for the for the studios, and I, it just seems odd that they've never taken that step.
1: I mean, obviously, you know, it could be a dollars and cents kind of thing, but uh, the attraction would definitely work. You know, with the fourth film coming up this year, I think it's going to totally re-energize that franchise, and this would easily become the most popular attraction over at Disney's Hollywood Studios if that's where they would choose uh, to bring it over to. But Don't worry, I'll start the petition. So. <laughs> I think it may have been begun already. I definitely it's <laughs> begun. Uh, I want to stay in Adventureland real quick, and because I, I want to touch on the Enchanted Tiki Room, and this has always been the the brunt of so many jokes, whether it's because the Disneyland version people feel is so outdated or the Walt Disney World version is awful because of the update. What did you guys think of the original, and we we, we made a note that, it's called Walt Disney's Atchanted Tiki Room, much like in Walt Disney World. We have Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress, still keeping that attachment to Walt himself. What do you guys think um, of the Disneyland Tiki Room versus Walt Disney World's?
3: I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, obviously a much longer show than the Under New Management, but honestly, the thing I liked best is, you know, they, we were there on a Monday, like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it played to a packed house. You, you rarely see the Under New Management one playing to a completely full audience it's it was it, we'll go back to what we talked about before it was charming uh, it had some quaintness to it you knew that this was one of the original animatronic attractions and the songs were great you knew them it was just you know a, just a part of the experience i enjoyed it
4: i think it's it's a testament to the fact that you know there's always a lot of debate as to you know the parks have to change they have to grow they have to move on and so often a classic will have to be kind of put out be put out to pasture but i think that's that can be wrong headed at times and i think this is a perfect example where nostalgia does work and as george said it played to a packed house while we were there i mean there were more people in that theater than i've ever seen in under new management at disney world for years and it it does prove that you can you can play to the nostalgia you can play to the history you can play to the importance and the significance that an attraction like that has in the company history and especially at disneyland itself where it originated and it, it it was it it just made me feel really good. It made me feel good that something as classic as that, that may not have the appeal of a space mountain or a big thunder mountain, still has the ability to please people and make them happy. Eric, God, guys, don't all cry. I mean, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I mean, the only thing I can say, I mean, I don't have the the history of um, of the original Tiki Room, and I've only seen the one out at Walt Disney World once. Uh, you know. Like both George and Jeff said, I think the thing that stood out the most was even though this is considered, an you know, it's one of the original attractions there, it was amazing to see the entire thing filled up. And, you know, you don't necessarily see that too often, especially when you have, um, you know, younger crowds that tend to go for the e-ticket type of attractions. So I, I think it's a testament to what Walt did when he first uh, created the attraction and how it stood up and, you know, still bears his name.
3: Well, the the other interesting part too is you know you could buy the Dole Whip or any of the citrusy beverages there on both sides of the entrance to the Tiki room because they let you in a little courtroom courtyard and they let you take the the food and beverages inside, which I guess because otherwise you get brain freeze trying to finish it first. And
2: <laughs> I was I was just gonna say I didn't realize you could take it in and I I wolfed down my frozen lemonade within three minutes.
3: So that that, that explains your singing, Eric. That's okay. Yeah, that's no. So.
2: I was ready to ride Indy by the time it was done, yeah. but, but that's just me, that's just me. Well, didn't we? I thought we did. So, yeah, we did. No, I think you guys gave me when your fast When weren't passes.
4: we on Indy? I mean, that's in that's three days. When weren't we on Indy?
2: Well, that was the only attraction where you guys voluntarily gave up like three fast passes so you could do something else so I could just uh, <laughs> play for The
3: it. Advent, the Adventureland at the Magic Kingdom is my favorite land by far in, in Walt Disney World. So I was excited to visit it at Disneyland. I was kind of shocked at how really small it was. To me, that just kind of went to the fact that this is such a smaller park. But once you amble past the Jungle Cruise and the queue line for Indy, as Jeff mentioned, you're right in New Orleans Square, basically, right by Pirates of the Caribbean. And it was such a different experience to see that as opposed to having those longer walks uh, like you have at in Orlando,
1: yeah, you, you blink and you're gonna miss Adventureland because, <laughs> and I think again, like Jeff said, it they're, they're a victim of, of the space constraints. Because if you look at the map, the Jungle Cruise takes up so much real estate, and the indie building, for the most part, the show building is outside the berm. But uh, other than that, there's not really a, a lot left space wise in Adventureland, and really, Frontierland intrudes and New Orleans Square intrude very much into that. Um, you know, as you enter Adventureland and then as you leave on the other side. Uh, heading towards New Orleans Square. But really quick, I like the Tiki Room. I, I thought the mm-hmm. exterior queue with the kind of little mini pre-show that you get with so, with some of the um, animated masks and, and tikis outside was really nice. And there is that sense of nostalgia and that old crooner-style music that I think still holds up 50-some-odd years later. Um, I think the attraction is, is great just the way it is, and I, and I hope they leave it as Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room um, you know, for as long as possible, so... Uh, let's move over to Frontierland, kind of circling around a little bit. We mentioned briefly, um, some of the things we talked about, Big Thunder Mountain a little bit. One thing that I had a chance to experience before you guys got there was the Mark Twain Riverboat. It was something I really wanted to try and do. I didn't get a chance to do the Columbia, which I would have liked to, which is the, the sailing ship that also goes around the river America. But I thought the Mark Twain w- Riverboat was really, really nicely done. It's one of those sort of overlooked experiences, I think, probably on both coasts, um, but I liked the animatronics and the show scenes and what you get to see and the different vistas that you get from riding the Mark Twain.
3: Well, the one thing we were all amazed with is seeing the canoes. Every time we saw one of the canoes that came back uh, that they hadn't done in years, we just all kind of stopped, whipped out the camera and just started taking pictures. You know? And watching the canoes go around the, the sailing ship Columbia and the Mark Twain was just such a different experience.
1: Yeah, it was something that I had hoped that you guys would want to do, but you were so busy riding indie and taking pictures of Toontown, we never got to do it. Well, um <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I really like there's just the that nostalgic aspect, and and when you see those canoes, I don't know, it gave me it gave me a very weird feeling seeing the canoes are like in a good way, and and how I wish we still had that at Walt Disney World, and and blame the lawyers or whatever it might be for the reasons that we don't have it. Um, but I like that 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 gives it such. A nice, you know, close, intimate feel. I don't know how how to describe, you know, try to articulate what I'm what I'm saying.
2: Well, and the one thing that I I noticed when I had heard about the canoes, because like I said, it was after my time. By the time I got there um, down at Walt Disney World, I honestly thought the canoes from the old video footage were um, were had like motor powered uh, engines on them, <laughs> and it, it was very clear to see from the cast members who were uh, digging their oars into the water that those things were not powered by anything other than uh than human arms i mean that that was it and some of those guys were really uh were really pushing to make sure that those things got around in a timely fashion
1: yeah they were they were definitely working it and uh it would have been something fun i would like to definitely have done um same thing with the columbia
3: i think we spent so much time eating while we were there you know we wouldn't (laughs) have been able to
1: you
3: know <clears throat> I guess that's another part of
4: the Yeah,
1: show. we're getting to that real... All right, so let's just by- bypass <laughs> Critter Country and New Orleans. Well,
4: real quick, a comment about the canoes, too, is one thing that's really refreshing about the canoes is, is that so much of the low-tech of charm of Disneyland and Disney World seems to be kind of fading away. And the canoes are truly a totally, totally low-tech experience, but still an immersive experience and a very... Fun interactive experience where you make friends with with people you didn't know before. Um, it's just it's something that sort of harkens all the way back to the 1950s when these were the type of kind of intimate experiences you had that were very basic. You know, you were riding pack mules, you were in a stagecoach, and it's one of those things that I was just so happy to see was still there. It's kind of like you know being sentimental about the Main Street Cinema or the Enchanted Tiki Room. That's what really struck me when I saw them was like this is something that's just very, very charming that still remains in place 50 years later.
1: Exactly. And that's and that's it's that charming aspect of it that I guess I was trying to really express. But we are talking about uh, the canoes, which really are part of Critter Country. And, And this is sort of interesting because both Critter Country and Frontierland border the rivers of America. It's almost as though they wish they could have had the Critter Country attractions be part of Frontierland, because in Critter Country you have the canoes, you have Splash Mountain, which obviously is a part of Walt Disney World's Frontierland, and the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which I'll take a brief second to to mention. It's all the way, you know, in the back, farthest corner of the dead end of the park, and I wrote it because I was curious to see the differences, and although I'm not a huge fan of the Walt Disney World version, nor do I understand the 60, 75, 90-minute waits, I really, really liked the Disneyland version of Winnie the Pooh. Um, I thought it told the story better. I thought the effects were better. I thought the transitions were from sort of scene to scene as opposed to room to room. And if you've ridden both, maybe you understand what I'm talking about. But I thought Pooh was a really nice... And we walked on it. We walked on Pooh. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, Lou, you're
4: right. Uh, Lou, I don't think I would have laughed if you wouldn't have been so just so gosh darn passionate about it.
1: I <laughs> love poo. I just I just love poo. <laughs> oh, this has to make the show. <laughs> I'm, I'm not cutting it out. So please keep the poo jokes to a minimum and, and move along. Well, Nothing to see here. <laughs>
3: I agree with you totally. When we, when we weren't spending the whole ride trying to find the tribute to the Country Bears, it, it was an enjoyable experience. It, it was a lot more linear. It, it, it told the story so much better. It, it, it was a good dark ride. You know, it's it, it was so vastly different from the Florida one. They just in in the whole feel of it.
4: Now that George has totally disrespected the basic tenets of DSI Lou, I think <laughs> it's time that we. Um, Cut him out of any further conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and I will no longer say look up in his presence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to move as quickly out of critic country as possible. Well, to- well,
3: before, before you do, Eric and I uh, did ride Splash Mountain. Oh, you did? We were there. Okay. Yeah, after, after you had left on your airplane ride and Jeff went back to sleep some complaining about something. Um, Sleep. What? Yeah, yeah, go figure. Who does that? Yeah. But Eric and I headed back that way after riding Pirates in Indy, what, three times? I think it was three times after Jeff had left. And knew we had to ride Splash Mountain. That's mine and my brother's favorite ride. And it, it was interesting. It uh, The logs obviously were different right off the bat because they're single rider or single file. And the show doesn't have the the beginning part that you have in Florida where you're it's you know you get a lot more of the animatronic characters at the beginning it actually starts you right right before you go up any lift hills and it was a lot shorter
1: a lot shorter and uh, still got wet I was going to say what the one thing think? I noticed about this one was everybody coming off was soaked I mean that's, that's part of the reason why we didn't ride it because you sissies didn't want to get wet but, that's, but everybody <laughs> came off was soaked as opposed to Disney World's version where you don't really get as wet maybe
3: yeah, it it seemed to me, and I don't know if Eric felt the same way, but it, the story obviously was so much more abbreviated. But the scenes seemed to be a lot clearer, and there wasn't as much of the everything going on at one time like you have in the Orlando attraction. Um, the 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 hills were great. That's all I can say. We ended up getting wet. I think Eric got a lot wetter than I did,
1: which you know made me happy. Jeff you see he was trying to make up for his, his Winnie the Pooh comments so, yeah, I so. <laughs> by talking about <laughs> well, story, well I mean
3: yeah it's it, it was nice to see all the original Mark Davis animatronics from America Sings in uh,
1: there you know they right. had a nice home but put the books away put the we'll books away let's move on Let's move we'll on, move <laughs> on. <laughs> New Orleans <laughs> Square and I, and I specifically saved this one for last uh, because of the attractions and, and because I personally love just the, the land itself uh, we talked about you you. you use the word quaint, and it definitely applies to New Orleans Square. But obviously, in New Orleans Square is the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, my feelings on these two attractions, how they compare to Disney World, are different. You guys might agree, you guys might not agree. I think the mansion, I like better in Walt Disney World from the exterior to the interior. Uh, it, it's just sort of a different feel um, and a different sort of a way, I think, that the, the story is told. I think the effects are better in Walt Disney World, although I do like the piano playing um, Husband in the Attic which one of you guys pointed out which I thought was um, playing Here Comes By which I thought was uh, an amazing effect I feel completely opposite about Pirates of the Caribbean I see why people talk about this attraction in Disneyland with such awe and reverence because from the moment you get onto your boat and you're in the bayou with the fireflies and the caverns are so much longer and all the additional show scenes. It's just a much much better attraction with the story being told much better. And the other thing I like too about Pirates and I noticed on many of the other attractions as well is that the scenes are closer to you. Um, The animatronics are closer to you. I, I don't know if it was done purposely or not but you definitely feel as though you're closer to the scenes. I think that the Sets are bigger and the sets are better. And I think again this this holds true in some of the other attractions as well, which doesn't really make sense when we talk about how how small this Magic Kingdom is. But I was just blown away by pirates.
3: Yeah, Pirates was absolutely phenomenal. As you mentioned, going I think one of my favorite experiences at the Pirates Ride is after, you know, as you float by the Blue Bayou restaurant and you got a little shack on your left and you see the pirate, you know, whispering to you, you know, the pirate skull, and you start to go down into the first drop. It's just that transition experience is just it's monumental for what they do. But when we were talking about the inside show buildings and I thought about it, it wasn't that it, it, they were much bigger. We were just so much closer and they had so much less space that you didn't have as long of the vistas, if we can use that word, inside the show building like they have in Orlando where they can pull you around a corner and you can float for a while. That scene with um, in the uh, with the attacking the Spanish fort right at the beginning that was a short battle scene and you turn around and see the mayor getting dunked
1: and we, we're, we're by it in seconds but don't you don't you think the battle scene is better in Disneyland there's more oh, much effects better. oh yeah
3: oh much better the effects in the, in the ride were phenomenal but it just hit me that they with such a lack of space they actually had to get you past some of these things a little bit quicker it just uh, it, it was great though I mean I'm not putting it down in any way shape or form it is it is I enjoyed it so much better than the one in Orlando. It, it's a great ride. Jeff?
4: The beginning, just to me, though, I mean, I, I agree with everybody. I mean, and I, the set pieces are phenomenal. But the transition is a little odd, and I think it's because we're so used to Florida, and especially with the addition of Davy Jones, there's a build-up to the drop. And mm-hmm. um, in Florida, clearly, where, granted, you don't have the set pieces early on, but when you go through Davy Davy Jones, then you're basically going into the drops. And what's dramatic about the drops in Florida is that they bring you out onto the uh, the harbor with the ship, and and you're in in the large, very large set piece. So kind of there's this payoff in in Florida when you come down the hill and, and emerge. Whereas it's a little odder feel in 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 California because. You go through your drops initially, and then you you eventually come to Davy Jones, the Davy Jones effect, and you go through the Davy Jones effect, and it's a much more sort of low key transition into that same harbor battle scene that just has a kind of a d- totally different feel to it.
2: Eric, yeah, I, particularly, and the thing that I noticed most about the battle scene was, I mean, when you look at the fort, you actually see a couple of animatronics uh, firing back at Barbosa and the ship, and then, you know, up in the uh, like, if you're looking straight up. You see a shadow of it, it looks like Jack Sparrow fighting off a couple other pi- or a couple uh, of the local colonial guys. I don't know if that's who it is, but you know that was it was an- another nice touch you know that the Walt Disney World version doesn't have. and you know just in going through the rest of the ride, I mean there were things like the um, the pirates who were drinking the rum on the barrels where you actually see an effect where it looks like the the rums pouring out into their cups. Uh, it seemed like there was a little bit more debris in the water, and, I'm, and I say debris not in trash, but debris from, like, uh, you know, their pillage and plundering of, you know, the fort and the town. So, and then, of course, there's that one scene at the very end, right after the, the jail scene, where you see the, uh, the pirates are firing at each other and firing at explosives and dynamite and everything else that the Walt Disney World version doesn't have. So, I mean, overall, I mean, hands down, it it beat the one in Walt Disney World, not taking anything away from it, but it was an enjoyable attraction.
1: Now, how do you guys feel about the Haunted Mansion in respect to Walt Disney World?
3: Wow. Haunted Mansion's my favorite attraction at the Magic Kingdom, Um, but being able to ride the one in California, knowing they're so close, to this one, it did seem a little bit shorter to me, and and I agree with you, Lou. My favorite part was when Eric had pointed out to us the... uh, the piano player up in the attic, playing Here Comes the Bride, was an astounding effect. The redo for the Haunted Mansion in Florida, I think those effects are outstanding. And when you compare the two, I loved it. I enjoyed it. But I'll have to go with uh, the Haunted Mansion in Florida for that one.
2: Yeah, I would agree. And pretty much on what George said is is basically it. You don't walk. I mean, in this one, you walk through the library and, and you walk past the, the photos that uh, transition in the in the lightning, whereas in the Disney World version, obviously you're in the Doom buggy already, and you know some of the effects. You know they were able to plus in Walt Disney World uh, with the new Escher room and et cetera, which doesn't exist in the Disneyland version. But you know it, again, I think that's kind of what makes Disneyland a, a park that you have to go to. Is there are s- some differences even in attractions that exist in both parks that make it different enough where you can say, you know what, I got to check it out at least once.
4: Yeah, I agree because I, I, I mentioned to you, Lou, I think the one time when we were walking through um, to get on the dune buggies, that it was the similarities are very distinctly there, but it, just, but it just I had a feeling that like Pirates of the Caribbean, while much greater in, in scale and scope in terms of the differences, it's not so quite as grand a difference going from from California to Florida with the Haunted Mansion. But it is there. there you can tell where... The, the haunted mansion in Florida has sort of an extension beyond scenes that are extended or more elaborate, and especially with with the with the refurb last year, it almost comes to the point where the Disneyland version becomes kind of a a still enjoyable shadow, but a shadow nonetheless of the, the version there.
1: True, and. I'm going to kind of start moving away from the attractions because in interest of keeping the show under three hours, um, <laughs> we're going to skip over other ones what did I think that we enjoyed. We we also rode the railroad. We also did the uh, Disneyland first 50 Magical Years um, attraction on Main Street, which I think we liked. But we're going to talk about shops and shopping a little bit later. But the one thing I want to mention here, which we all sort of noticed, was that unlike Walt Disney World, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, most of the shop, most of the attractions that you exit out of, none of them really lead into a shop as opposed to what you have in a number of cases over in Walt Disney World. And even we've noticed that in Buzz Lightyear, you have the option of either going into the store or just walking out into Tomorrowland. And we just we all kind of took note at, at how interesting that was. Yeah, it was, retail, it was obvious. Oh, go ahead, Jeff.
4: Your retail to me is clearly not given the emphasis. Retail locations does don't have the emphasis they do in florida and to me where that was so totally apparent was main street because even in in places where the retail kind of aspect has kind of moved in like the penny arcade you still have a penny arcade that exists um and it still retains some of that you know charm it has some of the original machines and um mutoscopes and things like that so you know in florida you have literally where they they eliminated a side street to expand the emporium those things haven't happened in Disneyland, so it's it's almost like the retail hasn't encroached on things to the extent that they have in, um, in Florida.
3: Well, we've kind of hit on that, what, what we've been talking about earlier and we talked about in the park. It's the fact that so many of the visitors, the guests there at Disneyland are locals that they're there once a week, twice a week, once or twice a month. They don't have the need, like with a once a year or once every two year vacation to purchase the stuff. And even if it was there, it probably wouldn't get Purchased. It's just you had that feeling that people were there to enjoy their favorite attractions, enjoy the ambiance, hang out for a while, and you know just do what they wanted to. Just uh, the shops it, that was, as Lou mentioned, the most surprising thing. You get off Buzz Lightyear and you go left, you're in a shop. You go right, you're in Tomorrowland. It, it was it was almost disturbing to see that. It was like, huh, well, which way?
1: Yeah, and I guess we can talk about shopping here because it's one of the things that really really appealed to me about Disneyland. From the second I stepped on Main Street Friday night and I saw the Main Street Magic Shop, which I you know I so desperately missed the House of Magic in Walt Disney World. It was so wonderful to see. Again, we keep using the word quaint, but the stores are so much smaller. They are quaint. They're so appropriately themed in merchandise and in architecture and in decor. Uh, You don't get the sort of generic items that you find everywhere, as you do in Walt Disney World. You know, stores in Frontierland sell items that you would expect to find. You know, Main Street items are different. And I think New Orleans Square is is a perfect example of this. On these little side streets, you have these tiny little stores. Even the pin shop, the the La Masquerade de Orleans, it it looks as though it fits. Um, You have the the Crystal Shop. You've got... um, the the pirate store you've got the other store um la baton rouge that has the nightmare before christmas themed merchandise you're not going to get just the themed merchandise and then everything else on top of it you're going to find very specific merchandise tailored to that land or that attraction and it's something that that really really appealed to me did you guys find i mean was it just me who sort of was just you know really sort of enjoyed the shops or i guess did you guys feel the same way
3: yeah, yeah. It was just nice to see something completely different from seeing the exact same merchandise in Florida. Just all the very unique shops that were just themed so well with the right merchandise. It was nice. It was really nice. I yeah, I, I
4: felt it very very refreshing. And it's you know I'm not one. I don't want to go sort of off on one of my pet peeves of Disney World, but <laughs> the the retail presence at Disney World has become really really overwhelming over the last decade or so, and to the point where. We were noticing, I mean, Lou, we were laughing because you don't have that popcorn cart sitting, you know, <laughs> right at the, at the exit. And you were actually lamenting that to some extent. But that, you know, again, maybe it's a product of space, maybe it's a product of it just being a smaller environment. But you're not looking at merchandise carts everywhere you turn. You're not, like, like you said, you're not walking off attractions right into right into um, retail shops. It's It's a totally, totally different feel. And it feels sort of less overwhelming, overpowering.
1: And I like the fact that you had to almost seek out what you were looking for. You knew that you weren't going to find the same thing in every store that you went to, to a certain degree, what you have in Walt Disney World. You know, if you wanted to find some of the Western stuff and toys and and Western-themed character merchandise, you have to go to Frontierland. you got to go to the Pioneer Mercantile or the Bonanza Outfitters that are so, so well-themed. And, you know, I talked before about the lack of transitioning, but that's so not apparent in the shops and in the shopping. And that was actually a mistake
2: I made. I, I kind of assumed that most of the uh, retail shops would have, you know, kind of the hodgepodge of everything. And, you know, there were a couple of occasions where I was going to get uh, a souvenir and I was like, oh, it's, it's not at this one. I've got to backtrack and go to, you know, the store that I found it on Main Street because it doesn't exist over here in Tomorrowland. But, you know, it was nice because they, I think they kept it themed more appropriate to the respective
1: lands. And even in the Emporium, I noticed, you know, we talked, we walked through the Emporium briefly. We said, God, you know, it, it's so spread out. It's so wide open. There's not these um, sort of kiosks and, and all these different obstructions along the way. But there was not a ton of merchandise. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but there was a lot of the generic merchandise that you'll find in Disneyland and Walt Disney World. But when I'm sure you guys did this, too, when you were getting the the. Honey, thank you for letting me go in gifts on your way out. I I once again was struggling because to find uh, merchandise for my, you know, just sort of generic Disneyland merchandise for my wife, I really didn't find very much in the Emporium. I found myself going to some of these other uh, more themed stores along Main Street.
3: Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, even looking for, you know, family-related souvenirs, there just wasn't a lot there. It was very, very surprising, you know, walking into every store and not seeing the same thing.
2: Yeah, sure. I will say the Emporium, though, it, it probably would be a, a DSI haven for you guys because there literally was a lot going on um, as you looked up. There was, uh, you know, even though they don't have a barbershop, there was like a scene where you see not animatronics but um, but mannequins up there replaying a barbershop scene. You see um, the, old, you know, the old phones and the old telephone operators. So, you know, it had things that the other Emporium at Walt Disney World didn't have that kind of <laughs> – Gave it nice little touches.
1: Yeah, it was car- it was hard to keep the, the the camera holstered a few times because the temptation was there <laughs> um, to start taking pictures of things. But you know what? We are avoiding the most important topic of all, and that's obviously the dining, um, mm. because I-, I think the dining in Disneyland is very different, and in some cases exceptional. Uh, I think the variety was really one of the things that jumped right out at me. There's a lot of like you made reference to earlier, there's a lot of sit-down restaurants. They're very well-themed, outdoor seating, a wide variety of dishes. You're not just going to get hamburgers and chicken nuggets. There's Mexican-inspired items, even found on some of the carts, like chimichangas. I guess due to the, you know, the population and the proximity to Mexico. Um, but each of the different lands offered you something different. I mean, I had eaten Friday night at the Royal Street Veranda in New Orleans Square where they had chowder in this bread bowl, which was delicious as I sat outside and I watched Fantasmic, which was literally right in front of your face because it's, it's right there on the rivers of America. Uh, and you'll find different dining experiences like that throughout the parks. In Adventureland, there's a Bengal barbecue where you get barbecue kebabs and, and things like You're not going to find that in Walt Disney World. Um, same thing over at uh, Frontierland, like Jeff and George ate it, said before, the Rancho del Zocalo had... A a lot of uh, Mexican-inspired dishes, and I I really thought the food selections were very, very nice throughout the park.
3: Yeah, I think what struck me most was uh, just the amount of outdoor seating, and I guess once again, that's due to not only the size of Disneyland, but the California lifestyle. Every restaurant had little umbrella tables sitting outside, and it it felt to me like we were walking past umbrella stands more than everything else. But the the Rancho, we ate there twice. It was just a great experience. Uh, almost like a nice little Mexican market. And not with your average hamburgers and hot dogs, but there were burritos and chicken dishes, and it, it was wonderful. It was a great experience to eat there. And, and I think it was Jeff was the first one to notice the silverware, I think. Wasn't that right? No, I think it was you guys. No. It was us? It was, okay, well, yeah, I tried well, to give you no. credit. <laughs>
4: It
2: was silverware, well, not only silverware, but there was also flatware. I mean, yeah, you know, we're all used was. to the paper plates, the styrofoam plates, or whatever. I don't even think I realized it until somebody had brought it up that, you know, hey, we're eating on real China here. not. That, then it must have been Lou.
1: Yeah, I remember noticing at like Cafe Orleans, we're sitting there having our sort of buffet meal, and I'm like, wait a minute. We're, not, we're not taking out the plastic knives and forks, we're eating on real flatware and dishes that... Somebody needs to come by and, and, and bus, um, which was very surprising to me, even for the counter service restaurants.
3: Yeah, because that's yeah. true. Every time the, the wait staff will come by and, and, and take the trays.
1: So, All right. Who are we kidding? Let's talk about the best dining experience that we had there. <laughs> <laughs> We're beating around the proverbial bush um, because I'm sure listeners have, have heard of and may know of and may have had the distinct pleasure of being able to eat at Club 33. Which, was a, uh, which is a private club in New Orleans Square, which is um, open to a very limited number of members. They don't even take names on the membership list anymore. And uh, I cannot thank enough a listener who contacted me when he found out that we were going. Um, I don't know if he wants his name revealed, so I'll just call him RM and <laughs> give him incredible thanks for offering to make us a reservation at Club 33. And We were able to have lunch on there, Uh, on Sunday afternoon. And before I get all mushy about it, I mean, guys, without exception, one of the finest dining experiences I've ever had. Yes, even comparable to something like Victoria and Albert's, if not better.
3: Oh, I I agree wholeheartedly. And once again, you know, thank you to the generous uh, benefactor that gave us the reservations. But I I mean, I know we'll cover so much about the restaurant, but the first time we head up the stairs and you walk in the main dining room and, you know, there's Mickey and Pluto standing there and just, you know, getting pictures taken. And it wasn't like your normal character lunch where they're mobbed and it's noisy and they took the time to take pictures. And, I think that was the first inclination that this is something special. Wait a
1: second! Wait a second! Uh, I'm out. sorry. Main, Time out. Main we Street. Walk into, we walk what into Club 33, and the first thing you notice is Mickey and Pluto. Not the fact that you're in Club <laughs> Jeff. You're right. No, about you're, you're right about George. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, Main Street USA, Toontown, and Club 33. Only places you can find characters. Only
3: places My you bed. can find characters. Yes, they were. My bad. But, but, My but you know, it was such a different experience to see them, and and you weren't mobbed, and there wasn't all this this sense of urgency to eat. It was. It, it, yes, it was phenomenal. It was amazing. you know, And I'll let somebody else talk now.
1: Well, when we sat down, <laughs> we, we sat down and, and we started, you know, we were just in awe of where we were and, and the view out the window and what we saw as we walked in. But we all kind of looked at each other and said, you know, what's this going to cost? And we said, we don't know. And we all agreed that it wouldn't matter. It didn't even matter what it was going to cost <laughs> because we were just so happy to be there. And even before we had put, you know, a fork in our mouth, we were just the we were just so enjoying the experience of being there,
4: you mean that's to the point where we were taking pictures of ourselves holding up the menu. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the plates and the
1: silverware and <laughs> but above and beyond us just being overwhelmed, geeky tourists taking pictures of those things, the atmosphere was just so warm and going to the point that you don't feel like you're you're in a theme park and Looking around and seeing the history of some of the items that are on display, whether it's the movie props like the elevator from The Happiest Millionaire or the harpsichord upstairs, the beautiful paintings on the walls, the experience begins far before you get any food or even your your, your server comes over, which obviously the service there was exceptional to say the least.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, the whole experience you know starts from the front door, waiting outside when you had to You know, announced the party was there and they let you in, and you're just surrounded by beautiful furnishings, beautiful wood carvings, and you're just transported into another place. And, you know, the only connection you really made to the theme parks would have been the beautiful paintings and sketches that they had up in the dining rooms of the various attractions from New Orleans Square. Uh, Just really added to the whole thing. But uh, that, that meal. Uh, was absolutely one of the best meals I've ever had, and you know, something that you know I'll talk about for a long, long time and, until Lou invites us to go back again next year. <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, yeah. Wait- what, what was really cool? What was really cool about Club Thirty Three was there was a real connection there to, to Walt and the history of the, the park. Um, it, you know, this was something that he had conceived and commissioned, and unfortunately did not live to see happen, and. The the trophy room is there where he was going his conception of the trophy room was a place where he would entertain guests and actually have interactive interactive animatron, audio animatronics there. You know, we had microphones, the microphones still hang from the chandeliers or evident there, you know, some of that stuff is still in place. So there's there's a real direct feeling connection, much in the way when they had the Disney gallery open, you know, that that was connected to where he had projected into dirty living quarters and such. So it was there was just a lot there that you could grab onto that that went back to when Walt was still alive to some extent.
1: Yeah, and the views outside. I mean, we we took full advantage of this once in a lifetime experience, which is really how we felt. And we walked around the two dining rooms, and we walked around the verandas outside, and took in the view down into um, New Orleans Square and into uh, across the waters uh, over by Frontierland. And it was just, I I mean, it was exceptional. And you talk about going to a Disney park and feeling special. That's the one thing you do from the second you walk in that very nondescript door on this quaint little street. When you enter Club 33, you are all made to feel very, very special. Um, And, you know, I made quick reference to the service. I mean, the service was exceptional. The food was just uh, amazing. You're given a choice... Of four or five different main dishes, there was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a couple, I think there was tilapia, there was salmon, there was lamb, there was a steak dish, and something else, and there was a vegetarian pasta plate. But there's also two buffets. There's the cold buffet, appetizer buffet on one side, with everything from huge peel shrimp to cold lobster tails, pate, fruits, uh, vegetables... Um, a a very very long buffet I mean we could have made a meal out of that altogether. obviously on the opposite side of where Eric was heading from from the second he walked in (laughs) was probably one of the most lavish dessert buffets I've ever seen
3: yeah that dessert buffet was amazing didn't know what half of what I was actually eating but it was delicious phenomenal and you know would have gone back four or five times if you guys hadn't wanted to go right, Indy (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, we definitely took advantage of the experience as we were there for more than two and a half hours. So,
2: and I was going to say, I was very impressed with the uh, basically the s'more that was in a champagne glass. Uh, <laughs> it was literally it was it was graham cracker, it was marshmallow, it was uh, you know chocolate sauce, literally in a glass. And it was probably my second favorite dessert. Uh, my <laughs> my favorite dessert was the uh, I guess it was like a raspberry mousse on top of like a chocolate cookie type of cup and then it had like edible gold leaf on the top but I mean that dessert buffet I mean had I not wanted to eat anything healthy I could have spent the entire (laughs) the entire time there alone but it was the service was phenomenal you the moment you stepped up if you had a dirty plate it was gone within five seconds Uh, our waitress was outstanding and, you know, I, it, this is definitely going to go down as one of, you know, the best dining experience, not just in Walt Disney World or Disneyland, but probably one of the top dining, dining experiences that I've had. Yeah, you just
3: feel so removed from the theme park that, Lou, even when you mentioned we went out on the balcony and, and of course, we were taking pictures, you still didn't get the feeling that you were in a theme park because you were still, you know, a story and a half above New Orleans Square and the Rivers of America. It just you were so insulated. From everything else and it's kind of hard to explain it just it was so un like but in such a disney experience that you know just what eric said it was one of the best dining experiences period
1: and worth every penny uh, of of it and just for you know if anybody's curious of what lunch would run you it it's going to run you i think it was 71 per person uh for mm-hmm. lunch which sounds extravagant and it is extravagant that's why it's a once in a lifetime type of experience but to have the you know the honor of being able to go there um, and eat in a restaurant that's so exclusive and one of the you know anybody can make a reservation for Victorian Alberts but to be able to go and, and dine at Club 33 whether it be for lunch or dinner um, if, if you ever have the occasion to do it
3: well I mean it's a, another bargain because don't forget you get free theme park admission for the day as well that's right so you got to put that in your Excel spreadsheet. You're trying to figure out whether or not you <laughs> want to join.
1: That's right. I should. I should make you. You I, I overlooked that point. One thing when I was told about the reservation, I was told to go and sort of check in by the guest relations over at Disney's California Adventure. And the reason why is because if you have a reservation for four or twenty four, everybody who's going gets a theme park admission ticket for the day. That must be used on that day because as part of your reservation, you do get free admission to the parks because obviously you have to get into New Orleans Square in order to dine in the restaurant. So um, that that kind of justifies to a certain degree the cost if you're not an annual pass holder or, or, or whatnot. Okay. So so yeah, that, w- that was by far, I think, the highlight uh, of the trip, um, at least highlight a trip that we can talk about on the show. But what I want to do before we kind of just wrap everything up, I do want to head over to Disney's California Adventure. And we won't really be able to go through it land by land because there are different lands there or attraction by attraction. But Disney's California Adventure, you know, I went in not knowing very much about it other than hearing really a lot a lot of bad uh, press about it and bad reviews of what Disney's California Adventure was, what it had in it. And I have to admit to you guys, I really really enjoyed the limited amount of time that we spent there. I liked Paradise Pier. I liked the Hollywood Backlot. I liked the Golden State. I liked the attractions. I liked the theming. You know, people seem to give Paradise Pier Uh, A real bad rap because of the theming, but having grown up on the Jersey Shore, I could tell you that's what, you know, that boardwalk carnival-like atmosphere feels like. And although I did not necessarily feel as though I was in a Disney theme park, much like the Magic Kingdom or Animal Kingdom or even Epcot, something like that, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. And I think some of the attractions... You know, Eric, you mentioned liking the thrill ride attractions. I mean, Paradise Pier had some great attractions. Uh, I thought the Aladdin show was exceptional. Um, I even liked the uh, the show with Whoopi Goldberg. Forgive me that I don't remember what what it was. The um, Golden Goldberg, Dream, the Golden Dream show. Yeah. All right, you know, Eric, why don't you tell us what what you kind of thought about the the park as a whole, and maybe some of your favorite attractions, and and sort of the, the bad rap that DCA seems to get.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in agreement with you. You. It doesn't feel like a traditional Disney theme park uh, when you first walk in. But, you know, the way each land um, was themed, I mean, it seemed to be right on the money. Now, I haven't been to California with the exception of going out to Disneyland. But, you know, one of my favorite areas obviously was Paradise Pier because of the, uh, the thrill ride presence that they have there. And I know that Toy Story Mania is going to be opening up in that section of the park, um, you know, later on this year. Uh, another area that you know was the complete opposite in terms of it didn't have really any attractions that I think was my favorite from a theming standpoint was the Pacific Wharf. I mean it just had I I can't really explain a good reason as to why that was my favorite area but once you're there you kind of just you get caught up in the way that the whole thing is themed. You see the gigantic uh, netting of the fish where you can have your photo taken Um, but you know the overall feel of the park was, you know what, this is a theme park. Maybe it doesn't have the Disney presence that, you know, some people are looking for, but I have a feeling that over the next ten years and the one billion dollars that they're gonna put into this particular park, you know, there are gonna be some changes and I think it's it's gonna improve and uh, you know, it's gonna be an even better park once they're finished.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, we've probably all went into it thinking this is gonna be sort of like Disney's Hollywood Studios in Orlando, or at least it's gonna have some Uh, some closeness and and some of the aspects but it just uh, like Disneyland in my opinion the transitions were so short from one land to the next you still didn't get a a proper feel for the whole theming it it was impeccable it was clean it was beautiful have to admit California uh, screaming the uh, roller coaster was phenomenal it was a great experience even like the Maliboomer Maliboomer was a lot of fun my favorite part of the park, and I know Jeff will probably cover it more, was the Brother Bear Trail, which I guess is sort of an ode to a modern Tom Sawyer's Island near the back of the park. I know Jeff will probably talk about it a little bit more, but my favorite area was the Hollywood backlot, which is sort of like the Disney Studios, because it has a recreation of the classic Hollywood icons that you expect from the golden, areas, uh, golden era of the film type, and you know, I enjoyed most of the attractions weren't a lot of big 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 name attractions like disneyland just not enough space for it but it was an enjoyable time and you know the funniest thing is i think it was on sunday we went to disneyland went to dca went back to disneyland went over to dca and ended up the night at disneyland again and you know in the whole day we you know we park hopped five times which was just a a completely different experience but i think one of my favorite areas was the um, the brother bear activity trail uh in the back of the park But I liked it.
1: Jeff?
4: Yeah, I I was really kind of, you know, when I was there, I was really enjoying it for the most part. And I think a lot of the criticism that's been leveled at California Adventure, actually, when we talk about, you know, Disneyland being a locals park, you know, there is that dynamic that, you know, why did you create a California themed theme park when so many of the people that are coming are from California and it's not anything different or new to them. But I guess for us coming in as non-Californians, we we had a kind of a fresh kind of look at it, and and I did enjoy it. I mean, it, it's disjointed in some ways, and the the uh, budget cuts that were kind of inflicted upon it during its um its creation are evident here and there. But there are some real hidden treasures, as George said. Um, the the Red we- Redwood Creek Challenge Trail, I think it's what ah, it's called. George, that's what it's to, called. Yeah, was was something that people don't automatically run to. I think I don't know that you and Lou and you and Eric even did it, did you? No, I didn't, get to, it, sp-
1: I didn't get to spend as much time there as I would have liked.
4: Right, it was it was something that surprised George and I when we walked through it because it it's very much in 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 kind of in the theming of you know the the playgrounds at Walt Disney World like the Honey I Shrink the Audience playground, things like that. But it's on a very very large scale, and it's it's just beautifully themed, and there's just hidden treasures everywhere. There they have this series of. Kind of little wooden statues that play to folklore or um native american legends and things that you kind of have to dig around to see and we even we even found a, a you know george was walking along and says you know this would be a perfect place to have ranger Woodlore and humphrey And <laughs> chances are there we go where there's a they had a fire warning kind of interactive little little display that had the two on very subtly but there they were but there was that and one of the things that we walked through just that we just kind of were are kind of wandering around was over in the Condor Flats area and one thing I will say for Condor Flats that really really I love so much was the theming for Soren in, um, in Florida is very, very generic. I mean, we, we, it's kind of very stark and very plain, but it truly, truly fits the Condor Flats area out there. We, we were all talking about how impressed we were with kind of the, the sort of golden age aviation kind of romantic kind of theme that they gave the Q area for Soren over California. And when George and I went back, we actually walked through, was it the Test Pilots Grill, was that was that the name of it, George?
3: Yeah, that was the restaurant. It was the, yeah.
4: the counter service restaurant there. And it was amazing, the theming inside just was phenomenal, it was like you were sort of in this sort of vintage golden era of um, aviation kind of aircraft hangar type setting. There was a gas station there that was actually not so much a filling station for cars, but for airplanes, that was just a, a shop and it had some great, great theming too. And just throughout the park they're just I, I was really picking up on a lot of that you know like you were mentioning Lou with Paradise Pier really invoking the seaside amusement parks and amusement piers I thought it did it did an excellent job and I know a lot of people think that that's kind of the antithesis of you know Disney you know theme park it really isn't because it's it becomes a theme unto itself and and they just do it so so effectively and and not bringing along kind of the, the negative baggage that those parks had in the past
3: true yeah I think Uh, when we talked about getting lost and where we were getting lost to Disneyland I I still don't feel like I have a really good lay of the land for Disney's California Adventure I felt like we kind of skirted the outside of it and just still if you plot me in the middle of it it's going to take me 20 minutes to find my way out or to an attraction it just it would it was well themed and well done but it just didn't have that same comfortable feel that you get at some of the other Disney theme parks where you kind of know where you're going but it was it was great I mean you know, the theming was well, well done. Well done.
1: Yeah, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Just based on what I had heard, what I thought I was c- going to come to expect was not what I experienced. And I, we would be remiss if we also didn't mention, you know, Main Street Electrical Parade runs there at night. So, so for those that, that miss the parade, um, yeah, you, you, you get another chance to see it. And like I said, we're, we're very, very just scratching the surface of California Adventure. We could easily spend a whole show segment. Um, talking about the individual attractions and individual lands. But, you know, I I titled this segment Why Every Walt Disney World Fan Needs to Visit Disneyland. And I want to know, sort of wrapping things up, do you feel the same way? Do you think Disneyland is so compelling that if you are a Walt Disney World fan, I says, well, you know, I don't need to go because we've got this and this here. We've got all the same rides. We've got all the same lands here. And we have so much more. Do you feel that same way? All right, so why don't we go Eric first, then Jeff, then George?
2: Um... I would say, I mean, obviously, having been a Walt Disney World fanatic, you know, there is that thought that, you know, Disneyland is just going to be a smaller version of just the Magic Kingdom. And, you know, I kind of went into it thinking pretty much the same thing. But even though they have similar attractions, or, in you know, I put in quotes, identical attractions, there's still so much difference between the two of them that you literally do feel like you're going through something completely different for the first time. And that's kind of what stood out for me when I did Disneyland the first time. I didn't feel like this is a park that I've been to a thousand times. It literally felt like a new experience. So, you know, I mean, I can see myself, you know, trying to make an attempt to go out there at least once a year, if not once every two years, uh, just to kind of, you know, experience that all over again. The other thing that I think is kind of unique about Disneyland right now is, you know, going back to, to California Adventure. They're going to be doing a lot of, of work on that park over the next 10 years. So, I mean, just being able to be, have the opportunity to go out there and maybe even see some of those changes as they happen um, is kind of unique in itself. That you know, we'd, we're not necessarily going to see at Disney World on that scale um, within the next few years.
4: Yeah, I agree. I, I Disneyland, to, to folks that are truly, you know, just all about Disney, it, it's a separate entity of itself and it's, it's not even something, even before I went on this trip, it wasn't even something that I was really considering drawing comparisons to because it's, it's just almost like, you know, you go to Florida, when you visit Florida, you visit all four different parks. In the big picture, you just visit Disneyland as well as Disney World. It's, it's kind of not an either-or proposition. And despite the similarities between The Magic Kingdom and Disneyland, It's just there's so much that's so different and there's just so much heritage there as well. I mean, you know, the the cliché, you know, that people throw out is, you know, we walked here and it's kind of, you know, trivializing it a bit when you say that. But there's some truth to it. You know, when we talked about, you know, going to New Orleans Square to Club 33, seeing things that were there that have remained relatively unchanged since 1955, despite how much the park has changed is really significant and I think with the addition of California Inventure and, and the en- enhancements they're gonna bring to that over the next five to ten years, I think it's just it's something that everybody should do. I don't I don't think you should ever sort of discount it because you feel it's just a clone of the Florida park.
3: Yeah, and even though you always talk about spending a week or hopefully longer at Walt Disney World, you could almost safely spend, you know, three days alone at Disneyland trying to experience everything. Uh, in addition to fitting in other Southern California attractions and areas. But, you know, uh, going after what Jeff said, it's the fact that, you know, this was the original theme park. It's it's there. It's got, as we've said over and over and over again, there's some charm to it. it, it it's something that you you really have to experience. As Eric said, the attractions are similar enough, if not identical in some aspects. The queues are different and some of the setups are different. But, it just has something about it where you know it's it's still a special place and I, I do want to go back and I do plan on going back to, to visit it. probably closer to when Disney's California Adventure is finished to see that end product but you know being able to ride the Haunted Mansion that you know Walt almost completely oversaw and then seeing uh, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean that he oversaw and then seeing the Haunted Mansion and then seeing something as spectacular as Indiana Jones and then the update to Space Mountain and being able to compare them it's yeah, I think every Disney World fan needs to experience Disneyland, uh, without a doubt. It's just there's so much there and in, in its scope that you just have to. You just have to experience it. It's, it was a you know, wonderful four-day trip.
1: You know, I have to say, Jeff, to a certain degree you said that, that talking about Walt almost trivializes things. But you know what? Especially if you are a, a Disney fan and a Walt Disney World fan that, that quote-unquote gets it, there is something special about this park, and having spent four days there, I understand people who call Disneyland quote you know their home park. What they mean. There is something special about Main Street. There is something special about experiencing these these attractions and, and walking through the park. Uh, I don't look at it as a place to compare to Walt Disney World anymore. I look at it as a completely separate experience. Even though George, like you said, there are some similar uh, and overlapping attractions. It was. it's a completely different experience and I will go back again and I will go back again within the year and I will take my family and now my kids are very young uh, relatively speaking they're, they're going to be three and five by the time we go but I know without a doubt that they will not only enjoy the experience but it'll be completely different for them uh, both in Disneyland and over at Disney's California Adventure there's things for all of us to do all of us to enjoy um, and, and it's It's going to be a destination that I will definitely add onto my calendar every year, Um, even quote-unquote being a Disney World guy. um, I I was really blown away by how much I enjoyed it and how my perceptions were incorrect um, on it.
3: Yeah, when you mentioned trying to compare the two parks, that was the one question everybody had for me this week at work and all friends and family is, you know, which one would you go back? Which one was better? And you really can't quantify that. You would go for completely different reasons. Yes, to visit a Disney theme park, but just they're both just so special in their own way. It was really hard to objectify or to quantify what you know, which one I'd spend more time at. They were both fantastic places.
1: All right. So just to wrap up, I have to ask the, the the question that must be asked, which is. You know, in all, what do you think was your favorite part of the trip? Um, Other than just the four of us spending four days together in such close quarters. But other than that, what was really your favorite part of the trip? Whether it be an attraction, whether it be walking where Walt walked or or Club 33, whatever it was. Why don't we go um, Eric, George, and Jeff?
2: Well, for me, I mean, from an attraction standpoint, um, (laughs) this is going to be a big shocker. But being a thrill ride guy, you know, Indiana Jones was by far... um, you know, the best attraction for me and a close second was their version of Space Mountain uh, over at Disneyland. My favorite attraction over at DCA um, was actually the Malibuomer, um, which was uh, a unique experience because we got to ride it both during the day and at night and both times you get to see, you know, the city of Anaheim because you're literally shot up a couple hundred feet. So I, I would say that, you know, the e-ticket attractions were probably my favorite part of the trip
3: yeah I must have to agree exactly with Eric. Indiana Jones was phenomenal not only just because of the queue Space Mountain was great stepping outside of the the thrill rides I, I think I'd have to go with uh, Peter Pan as just one of my favorite overall attractions, even though it was short um, and, you know and just a dark ride quote unquote it was it was such a great experience and over at DCA I think California screaming was uh, was my favorite attraction over there. Jeff.
4: I, I really got to say the thing I think that I enjoyed the most because it surprised me the most was Fantasyland. Um, I I knew there were more attractions and I even re- rode some of them in the past when I'd gone on a prior visit. But just the enhancements and just that there was so much more there to do than than in Florida just really kind of took me aback. And just, just how well themed it was. And it just was something... I Fantasyland I enjoy in Florida, but it's not exactly one of my favorite places. And here at Disneyland, it it I, it just really, really, really struck me, struck a chord, and I really enjoyed it. And I, you know, uh, DCA, as George said, I really enjoyed the Paradise Pier theming, as controversial as that is to some people. I really thought it was well done, and I also enjoyed California Screaming a lot.
1: You know, I have to say that. I was trying to look for a way to a- articulate it, but you know that when I when I stepped onto Main Street and when I walked through Fantasyland and when I went through New Orleans Square, I got this smile on my face, different than the one that I get when when I feel like I'm I'm home in in Walt Disney World. And something about Disneyland, and I kind of maybe felt this more when I first got there, um, before you guys got there, so you didn't think I was a total wacko. But I I really felt like a kid again, and when I was riding some of these attractions, like you said, in Fantasyland and instantly fell in love with Pinocchio and realized why I love their Peter Pan's Flight so much better um, than the Walt Disney World version, just because of the effect and the story and meandering the streets of New Orleans Square. Um, There was so much to it that I really enjoyed, and I think Peter Pan's Flight just from an attraction point of view was probably my favorite with Space Mountain, as we talk about thrill rides being a a close second for, for obviously very different reasons, but there was something about that feeling of being there and I don't know how to to quantify it, I don't know how to articulate it but I I got that feeling of being that 7 year old boy trapped in a 39 year old body um, as I was there and and Jeff, like I said, Fantasyland really kind of brought that home so um, guys, it was an amazing experience on many, many (laughs) levels let me just say Um, but one that I I will never forget and, and I want to thank you for helping me uh, really get turned on to Disneyland in a way that I never thought I would enjoy as much as I did, and I appreciate you guys coming on and spending oh these just a few minutes talking about um, <laughs> our, our weekend, and and I appreciate your opinions on on Disneyland and the whole experience. Thank you, Lou. Right. Thanks, Lou.
4: Thanks, Lou. Let's do it again next year.
3: <laughs> Let's set the date.
1: Oh, well, look, Stromboli.
3: <laughs> Jeez, you guys are so mean. <laughs>
1: Thank you for tuning in again this week. I hope you enjoyed our look at Disneyland in California. For more information about the resort and other helpful resources, you can visit our show notes page at wdwradio.com. I, of course, want to say thanks to Jeff, George, and Eric for not only coming on this week's show to talk about our experience, but for sharing such a great time with me out in California. I also want to say thanks to everybody who I met and who came over to say hi while I was out there, including Janine, the world famous Andrew, Lisa, Mark, and Michelle. It's nice to know that there are people who call Disneyland home that still like listening to the WDW radio show as well. In addition to the Walt Disney World news, rumor mill, and emails next week, on the next few shows I have more hidden treasures and best of the bests at Walt Disney World, as well as more history and trivia segments, great vacation planning tips, and exclusive interviews with some special guests. I have a few new segments and announcements that I'm going to make, so be sure and stay tuned as well. I also encourage you to come by our show notes page and visit some other friends of the show, including Orlando Fun Tickets, for the best prices on official and authorized Disney tickets. You can go and visit OrlandoFunTickets.com, as well as Owner's Locker and AttractionsMagazine.com, which is a new publication covering all your favorite Orlando area theme parks and attractions. And of course, don't forget, you can also get your official WDWRadio.com t-shirts and sweatshirts from the link on the site as well. As I've always said, I want the show to continue to be interactive, so email me at lou at wdwradio.com with your questions, comments, segment ideas, or anything else at all. Or to be on the air, you can call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. You can also discuss the show and anything Disney over at the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com. Finally, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in again. See ya.
3: Hi, Lou. This is Ashley from Delray Beach, Florida. I recently just started listening to your show about maybe two months ago, slowly getting all caught up. I really enjoy it. You do a great job. I just want to let you know that I was at Epcot this past weekend with a friend, and he actually asked a cast member an Interventions about Stormstruck. I, I know you mentioned it before on your show, and it is supposed to open in July of, obviously, this year. So, just want to pass that on to you if you didn't know that already, and look forward to your next show. Hope you had a good time at Disneyland. Take care. Bye.
5: Hi, Lou. This is Steve Swanson from the Muppet Cast. It looks like we missed each other by about one weekend down at Walt Disney World. Uh, too bad. But I, uh, I heard you uh, mention at the beginning of the podcast about uh, the new way of doing the extra magic hours, showing your room key. As opposed to getting a bracelet. And my wife and I actually had the opportunity to uh, experience both ways of doing those extra magic hours in the evening. Uh, at Epcot, they had to show our room key. And a few nights later at the Magic Kingdom, we just got the bracelets at the front of the park. And I have to say that personally, the bracelets worked better for me just because anytime I'm going to put my room key away or any kind of credit card size thing, Uh, I'm gonna put it back in my wallet in my pocket so that means I had to get out my wallet every time which I don't really like doing in crowded places anyway I'm sure I'm not the only person but uh, it was just a little bit more inconvenient to have to get out my key and my wife's key and they asked every time uh, for both of ours so the bracelets were better but then again like you said this new system is kind of in its infancy and just being tested so maybe they'll uh, Maybe they'll come up with, with uh, some other kind of solution that might work better. But thought you might like to know that, and uh, we'll talk to you later.
6: Thanks a lot. Hi, everybody. This is Kenny from Lake Worth, Florida. Um, I recently got the um, video from the Celebration 25, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. The one thing I realized uh, after watching it was um, seeing the, the rope drop and stuff, I missed it that morning. I honestly didn't think that there was going to be that many people there like me. I registered and everything like that, and I kind of poked around at some of your events, but since I was there by myself, I didn't have anybody to hang out with. <clears throat> I really thought it wouldn't be as big as it was. Um, I actually was there on the 20th birthday, and I was there on it opened, and I've been there so many hundreds of times since and before and everything else. But I was really in awe of the representation of how many people really showed up, and it really took me aback a little. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, you guys are doing a great job with your iPod stuff and your podcast and then the stuff on the websites and everything else. Keep it up, everybody. Uh, there's more people like you out here. Bye-bye. Uh, my name is uh, Kenny Eddowes, and I'm from Lake Worth, Florida. Thank you.
7: Hey, Lou. James Souter here. I was calling to say I love your show. I just listened to the last one, and I was just in the Canadian Pavilion a couple days ago, maybe a week ago, somewhere in that area, and they do have the uh, maple candies, the little sugar candies you were talking about, and they also have the maple gummy style candies and i'm not sure about the beaver tails but i think those are the ones that are the uh flat cookies with the um maple filling in the middle of them that are just off the scale over the top incredibly good yeah uh i ate too many of those Mm, yeah but anyway they have them they're there um they're very popular and they go quite quickly. So, um, well, anyway, enjoy the show and hope to see you on a research trip sometime in the future.